Welcome to Brave Dynamics. This is your host, Jeremy Ao. Leadership is harder than looks. As a proven founder and Harvard MBA, I interview courageous entrepreneurs, executives, and investors every week. I also share my frontline experiences, coaching insights, and own professional development journey. If you're stepping up as a new leader, founding a startup, or venturing into the great unknown, this is the podcast for you. Amir Salihevendich is the founder and CEO of Doist, the remote-first company behind the productivity app Todoist and Twist, a team communication app. Todoist keeps track of all your tasks, projects, and goals in one beautifully simple place. It syncs across all your devices and integrates with all your favorite apps. This app is for people who need less chaos and more peace of mind. Todoist has helped millions of people complete over 1.5 billion tasks in over 150 million projects. Todoist is the top-ranked productivity app. It is Google Play's editor's choice with 4.7 stars across 187,000 reviews. It is on the Apple Store as a featured app with 4.8 stars across 30,000 reviews. The Verge reviewed Todoist as 9 out of 10 and said it is the best to-do list app right now. Doist is a remote-first team with 75 employees collaborating across 18 time zones and over 20 countries. Doist has published the leading guides and best practices for starting, managing, and scaling a remote team from the world's most successful distributed companies. He graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Computer Science at Aarhus University. He was born in Bosnia, grew up in Denmark, and is currently splitting his time across Barcelona, Spain, and Santiago, Chile. He is a dad of two and enjoys football and surfing. He speaks Bosnian, Danish, English, and Spanish. You can find him on Twitter at A-M-I-X-3-K. Hi, Amir. It's so good to see you. As well, Jeremy, it's a pleasure to be here. We've just talked about how awesome to do is, and if people don't believe how great it is, I'm a personal fan and user of Todoist. Thanks for helping me keep my life organized. It's a real pleasure. And, you know, I'm also a very, very long time user of, of Todoist. I basically built it for myself. So, you know, <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. So I'm curious, how many tasks do you have in your Todoist if you were to ballpark a number? I know that I have completed almost 60,000 tasks. It should tell something about how much I use the system. <laughs> That's really funny. Unfortunately, I've had to use a series of different task apps that got deprecated over the years. So unfortunately, I didn't complete 60,000 on Todoist, but hopefully in time to come. We are in it for the long haul. So, you know, you will have plenty of years to reach that. We've been friends for quite a while and so many people have really admired the way you've built out Todoist and your leadership journey. Could you tell us more about it? Sure. I actually never really set out to be a leader. I don't think I'm a natural leader. It's not something I aspire to be. You can see it in some people. They really want to be the leader type and they're maybe also like born to it. Like So for me, you know, I have always tried to kind of escape that. And I got thrown into this because 
you know, the only way to succeed in the modern world is via team, via company, kind of forced me to become good at it, or like at least like try to become good at it and really see that the only way you can succeed is via teamwork. Their leadership is really critical. As you build a company, like people really expect you to be the leader they need. So I think also if you you get pressured into that role, that also is something I felt from, from the people. They really required that from me. So that's kind of like my journey into leadership. It's not really something that I feel super comfortable in. And I think maybe a lot of technical people have the same thing. And also if you're introverted. Why do you find leadership so important? Basically, my ambition and, and goal is to build something impactful. And I think the only way you can achieve that is via teamwork, via company, and via great leadership. My ambition isn't really to have a lifestyle business or whatever. Like It's really like to build something big. In that context, I think leadership becomes critical. Uh, and the only way you can actually scale yourself, your work, and your impact. How did you personally get started in your leadership journey? Initially, and especially coming from my background, it's computer science. So I never read a single leadership book. I didn't know what I was doing at all. And then I started to hire people and managing people. The first thing I actually did, I hired some family members because it was easy to do. And I quickly found out like that isn't really a good criteria. Also like working with your family, you love them. It becomes like really, really challenging to kind of provide feedback and evaluate the work. So I quickly stopped doing that and we parted ways. Then I also tried to hire like an outsourcing company to do the work that I needed to do on the mobile apps. That also like really didn't work out because they produced really, really crappy work. That's when I found out that you need to find the right people that kind of believe in the same stuff that you believe in, that care deeply about the mission, that want to work on the stuff that you work on, that really want to like be part of what you're building. So I think that's where I found out that this is really, really critical. People, especially for like a knowledge company, are the most critical aspect. Maybe for any company, but especially for us, you know, creativity and communication and people. That's basically 80% of the stuff that we do. So what hurdles did you personally face and how did you overcome them? I think one of the biggest issues with being a founder is that you have all these hurdles and they never stop. They become harder. So the style I, I like to look at is kind of like climbing Everest. Everest never ends. And then it becomes harder and harder. And as you go along, you need to transform yourself and your skills. You need to be good at many different things. So this constant like, growth, this constant change, I think is a huge hurdle to pass. For instance, like giving up programming, that was really, really difficult because I love to program. I love to create stuff and suddenly stopping to do that. And even right now, like I have not fully really given up on that because my Zen zone is kind of like with an editor, with a cup of coffee and doing that. So, you know, those are big hurdles. And I think like that's a good thing when you grow that you actually need to grow with it. A problem is also like the growth stops or you have an issue and you will always have many different issues, many different fires to fight. That's also another type of hurdles that you need to tackle. I hope I answered a bit of that. It's a pretty tough job, but also like if you want to grow as a person, I think it's the best ticket for personal growth is this type of, of journey. What are the common myths that you've encountered in leadership? 
I see a lot of broken mental models of people trying to pattern match, not only in terms of leadership, but also company building. You need to do what Google does, or you need to be an asshole like Steve Jobs to be successful. Michael Jordan is very popular of his leadership style. Honestly, I think what's really critical is finding your own authentic leadership style that reflects like your personality, your context. If you look at the spectrum of leadership and companies, people are very, very different. So the way that Ed Catmull from Pixar managed Pixar is very different from the Steve Jobs that managed Apple. The same thing maybe goes for Bill Gates or Sergey in Google. Like It's very, very different type of leaders, very different type of leadership, and they have all been very, very successful. So I think like finding, you know, like this common pattern is probably the wrong way to go. Like, I think you need to kind of find your authentic pattern. And that's what I try to do. That's why we do most of our communication in a written form. A lot of it like asynchronous, our companies like fully distributed spread around the world. And that's like a leadership style that fits me really well. Why like, you know, trying to be like this energetic extrovert person that is likable, like that, that isn't really my style and I would never be successful in it. So that, that would be my take on that. You've always advocated for remote as a way to balance life and work. And now you're a parent. How do you find that remote first interact with your identity as a parent, as well as a startup founder and CEO? I mean, the way that we work remote first, asynchronous first, I think it's a superpower for the parent because we don't do many meetings. That helps a lot. And you also you can plan your day as you see fit. Sometimes I work during the night and that's because the kids are in bed and I can just focus. That will be very hard to do in a synchronized environment. We also have like really great feedback from the women inside Duist that also have maternity leave. You have so much flexibility and especially with like a baby and you need to like feed the baby. You can't be like connected real time and then feeding the baby. Maybe some can, but most prefer to actually just take care of the baby, then do some work. So honestly, like I think it's the ultimate freedom. That's why I love it and why I promote it and why I think it's actually like the future of work. This kind of freedom is very, very addictive as well for people. If you do some surveys of like remote first workers, most of them never want to go back to office job again. What tips do you have for you know people who are founders, who are thinking about becoming parents or parents who are becoming founders? What advice would you have for them? I love being a parent. I love my kids. Before I would think about what is actually the meaning of life. Once you get kids, you don't think those kind of things anymore because you kind of find the meaning. It's basically reproduction because you kind of build like a very special bond. You have a very special feeling towards your kids and your family. But it's also like super hard work. My parent job is probably as hard as my founder job. So if you think like your founder job is hard, double that, and then you kind of have the the parent founder job. It gets better as the kids grow. And it's kind of like compounding effect. As I see it, initially, you don't really get much out of the baby because the baby doesn't even communicate with you. But as you go along, interactions happen, you build a much stronger bond and it begins to give. Yeah. It's also one of the most beautiful things you can do as a human. So it's worth the sacrifice that you and your wife or or partner will do. This last two months with the coronavirus and the lockdown 
has probably been like one of the most challenging parts of the journey so far. And especially being locked down, like I have a small daughter and toddler. That's pretty extreme, you know, like it's, if we don't die by the coronavirus, like mental health would probably kill you at some point. And I, I really like have a huge respect for all the parents out there. If you're not a parent, you don't really know what we're struggling with. One fear that people have is teammates aren't as productive or they're going to freeload because they're remote. What do you say about that fear? If you hire the right people, it's really not relevant and much bigger problem when you hire the wrong people. It's them not overworking and not burning out. Overworking is a much bigger problem than people like stacking off in a remote setting. Honestly, like I think the way that we do knowledge work right now is completely broken because you need to actually deep work to solve a lot of the issues. You can't do that in a real-time chat, ping-ponging and taking your attention. Then you also have maybe Twitter and a lot of meetings. That's kind of the reality of most people. I'm not sure if you can hear, but my daughter is still crying. Who are your role models in real life? I think real role models are dangerous because you can only just see a certain aspect of a person and then you copy the wrong thing. So, for instance, like if you see Steve Jobs, I'm a big fan of Steve Jobs, but I'm not really a fan of the person. I'm more fan of the work that has been produced, his product leadership, product insight. I would love to copy that, but I would not like to copy the asshole aspects or like the secrecy stuff that Apple is known for. And honestly, I think like most people are very complex. We have many aspects of ourselves. For me, like what I'm more interested in is more like ideas, like copying ideas and being inspired by ideas than being inspired by a person. So for instance, like Patagonia's founder, he's super inspiring. I think what Patagonia has done is very inspiring and I would love to be inspired by that. But I'm actually unsure if he's a role model for me because I don't know him, you know, like uh, and maybe like that's also a problem right now in our society is that we have too much focus on role models. I don't think it brings us forward as a species and a society. So what support or resources are available for others considering a journey similar to yours? Honestly, like I'm super excited by the, the society that we live in where you basically have access to all of human knowledge at your fingertips. A lot of the world has access to this. You can also build stuff just using your mind and a computer, and you can like build amazing value. Bitcoin is a great example where it's basically one paper and an implementation that has created over $100 billion in value. Of course, like Bitcoin is a very hard target to go, but you, know, you could build something smaller. But still, like I think the idea holds. It has never been easier in human's history to have so much opportunity as we have now. That's why I'm actually also positive of the future and our potential. Because if you think about it, we basically have billions of people that have access to all of humans' knowledge. And also, I think like intelligence is evenly distributed around the world. So we have geniuses that will just come up and build amazing stuff as we go forward. If you look at the past, some of the biggest problems that we had was solved like in very human ways via creativity. Right now, I think like we have so much of it and it's actually amazing. But like the world that we live in, like that we can actually have a, a meeting now. You know, you're in Singapore, I, I'm in Santiago, Chile and it's just mind-blowing, but we take that for granted. And of course, there's also many issues that we need to solve. As a founder, you have all the resources that you need. It's your head, it's internet, and it's like a computer and you're set to go. What is a great book that you've read? 
A great book I would recommend is uh, a book called The The Score Take Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh is kind of like an NFL coach who took one of the worst teams and made them champions multiple times, which is really hard to do. This book isn't really about NFL. It's kind of his leadership style and his leadership tips. Some of the insights are really, really great. For instance, that even the small details matter to get like great performance out of the team. Like you need to have the baseline and it needs to be professional. For him, it would be showing up on time. That's really, really critical. It shows that you respect like other people that you're with or that you know the secretary would pick up the phone properly and answer professionally. Everything about the organization he wanted to build should be professional. For me, like this really resonated because uh, a lot of times yeah, you, you just focus like on one thing, like being good at one thing. But I think you need to be good at almost everything, or at least like the baseline needs to be good for almost everything to actually have like a great company and have a great team. So that would be probably the book I'd highly recommend to people. One of the things I've really gotten to know about you is your focus on hiring mission-driven people. How do you evaluate mission-driven in your candidates? I'm going to spoil a hiring tip that we have. If people don't use our products, they are most likely not going to be hired. (laughs) So you need to use our products and be passionate about it. Of course, this has not really been true for all the people that we hired. It's very hard to do when you start out. But at least you should have people that are very interested in task management or team communication, like markets that we are in. They should have done something in those markets. But honestly, it's very hard. Some other like indicators is a personal project that people have. That's also a very important indicator for us because that shows that you're actually not really doing the work only for the money. You really like the, the work and you get some pleasure from actually doing the work itself, even if it's not compensated. And I think this is especially critical for like developers. Also, if people jump a lot around, that's also a bad indicator for us. So we don't really hire people that have like 20 different jobs in the last five years. If you could go back 10 years, what advice would you give yourself back then? I would probably go back maybe 13 years, and I should probably have gone full-time much earlier than I did. So this for me was like a side project for four years before I started working on it full-time. I didn't really see the potential. And I think compounding, so the stage we would be at right now would be very different if I had done that. What's the best you know, place you've surfed? The best surfing I have done is Costa Rica. I actually did that with uh, Joel from Buffer, who is, also has like a remote-first company. Another friend from England called Andy. And I mean, it was just like, it was really, really beautiful. And just like, you know, being with them most all the time was also really special because we would just surf, drink, barbecue, eat well, and then it would just repeat. We would talk a lot as well. It was also super, super intense. We would get up at five or six in the morning to catch the waves And we also lived in a very remote part of Costa Rica. It was just like a very special experience, being with friends that that helps a lot. You've built out a community of peers in the remote-first company space with your friends that had Buffer and other places. What's it like to build out that tribe? I think this is also really important for other founders as well, is finding your tribe, finding the people that that are your friends that kind of have similar issues as as you do. 
similar like leadership styles and personality styles because that can really help you out a lot. Person like that helps a lot that I can just ask them a really tough question that maybe not many other companies have or leaders have and they can actually answer back and say, yeah, we had the same issue and here's how we looked at solving that. I was very bad at this in the beginning, but I'm getting much better at it and I see like huge value in doing this. What I do is I schedule a monthly call with people that I want to be connected with and we can just jam and it's basically free for all session. Usually like the issues that you have in companies, even in very different industries, is very similar. So then that would be a huge, huge recommendation I would make is try to make your tribe and collect people that you really want to collaborate with and connect with. Awesome. It's been such a pleasure having you and just chatting with you again. Jeremy, my pleasure. We have known each other for some years now. It, it is uh, amazing. And I'm also looking forward to see what your new journey would be. Awesome. Good to see you. Thank you.